You know, Veterans Day, uh, I'm reminded of a lot of things. This year, one of the things I was reminded of was, was February of 1991. I was just a little, a little Jason at the time, a little middle school student. Um, and I remember watching on television as then Commander-in-Chief President George H.W. Bush, Herbert Walker Bush, George Bush, the, the father, was uh, on TV declaring that the Gulf War was over. And so uh, by, by March, men and women in uniform came home having risked everything for the cause of freedom uh, around the world. And during the Gulf War, the, the United States, under the, the leadership of President Bush led a coalition of 670,000 troops from 28 countries, but most of those troops, some 425,000, were American soldiers, sailors, and airmen. See, see, those soldiers, that coalition, they, they took a stand for what was right. Something really bad had happened in the world in, in those days, and an injustice was being done, and it threatened the, uh, uh, the, the sovereignty and the freedoms of, of many nations and they took a stand against an evil dictator determined to undermine freedom and liberty in the Middle East and around the world. See, they took a stand for what was right. As we pick up here in Ephesians 6, Paul is going to transition into really the last thought, the last overall sort of really teaching thought he's going to get to in Ephesians 6. And as he does, he's going to tell the Ephesians to stand. He's going to tell them to make a stand. He is going to tell them that they are in the middle of a war. And, it, and they needed to stand, and they needed to stand ready. He, he, he began the book of Ephesians. As you remember, the first three chapters is a lot of theology, how you're saved, why you're saved, uh, the blood of Christ. We, we talked about the power of God in the first uh, three chapters of Ephesians. I mean, he is really laying on the first three chapters a lot of theology. There is some application, but the majority of it is, is deep theology, the power of God, the, the, the way that God changes us. The way that we are saved, the fact that we are saved to do certain things that God has called us to do. And, and, and so we see that in the first three verses of Ephesians, first three chapters of Ephesians. But also, he begins to transition there in chapter 4, 4, 5, and 6, and he begins to give us some real life application. If you're really saved, this is what it looks like. You should walk and you should walk a life, have a life, live a life that's worthy or consistent of your calling. Be imitators of God. Be filled in the, uh, with the Spirit. And he addresses our relationships at church. He addresses relationships at home. He addresses relationships at work. He addresses relationships between believers. And he, and he addresses the relationships between believers and non-believers. He kind of covers it all. And then he ends here in chapter 6. He, he takes something very life application, but yet very theological as well. And he, he puts it together as he begins to end this 
chapters. He talks about Christian warfare. So let's look at, take a look at Ephesians 6. We're going to start in verse 10. We're going to read down to verse 15. And what we're going to begin talking about the armor of God. And, uh, this morning, obviously, we're talking about taking a stand and, and, and why we wear that armor. We'll get into the armor a little bit this week. We'll come back next week and get into it some more. But we're going to start in verse 10 and read down to verse 15. It says this, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For a battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with Truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest. And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you above and beyond everything. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel of peace, which is, Father, very epicenter of, of, of who we are as believers and in what you have called us to be about. And so, Father, we pray, Father, that you would help us to understand today what it means to be in the battle in the world that we live in. And God, we pray that in all you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want you to see here is Paul tells us to stand. He tells us to stand in the Lord. Verse 10, finally, finally. Now, he doesn't mean this is the last exact word I'm going to say, but here's my final thoughts of all that I've said to you. Finally, be strengthened. Be strengthened in the Lord. Be strengthened by the Lord. You, you'll notice if you read verses 10 through 14 three times. Three times Paul is going to say, he's going to use the word stand. He's talking about standing your ground. He, he's talking about standing firm against the enemy of God. I'll tell you a shocking statistic, and you can find this uh, in Pew Research and, and some of the other polls out there, but there's, there's a 2015 Gallup poll, uh, a Gallup poll in 2015, uh, that, that shows that about 9 in 10 Americans, so it's right at 89%, uh, say that they believe in God. Now, that doesn't mean that they're all saved. That doesn't mean that they all believe the right things about God. But 89% of people in 2015 said, yes, I believe in God. But the same poll asked another question. And what they found is that although 89% of the people in the United States say, yes, I believe in God, only 61% of them believe in the devil, believe that Satan actually exists. You can see the same poll in uh, some of the other researches where they ask people, do you believe in heaven? And about 85, 90% said yes, but 
while yet about 59 to 60% said that they believed in hell. What that tells us is that there are people in this world who believe in God. And, and I would even say, I would even venture to, 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 to assert that there are people who say they believe in the God of the Bible and they believe certain things out of the Bible. They believe in Jesus, and uh, maybe to some extent, but for whatever reason, they do not believe in the existence of Satan. Friends, that is scary. That's scary. Here's why Billy Graham said, said it the best. I, I put that quote up there. It says, it's been said that one of the devil's most successful schemes is to convince people that he doesn't even exist. Do we have that quote maybe up there? Uh, the, maybe the next slide. There we go. Okay, you probably couldn't see it real well, but um, uh, but it says that the, the one of the devil's most successful schemes is to convince people that he does not exist, and that's true. Bill Graham said, "After all, if you don't think that the devil exists, you won't be on guard against him." But he does exist, Billy Graham said, and he'll do everything he can to keep you from Christ, to keep you from Christ's will for your life. Paul tells us to take a stand against the enemy of God, against the devil. He's talking about the evil one. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about uh, uh, the one known as Lucifer. I mean, I know a lot of Folks don't talk about that. It's not popular to talk about that. I know people don't want to think about that. We always just want to think happy thoughts and, and butterfly thoughts. But we have to understand that the devil is real. He hates God. And because he hates God, he hates you. He hates your family. He, he hates biblical marriage. He hates biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. He, hurt, he hates you learning about uh, about the word of God. He, he hates you serving in the kingdom of God. He hates the gospel. He hates, he hates everything having to do with the word of God. And that is why he has waged war on all of those things. Think about the things that people argue about today. Politically and socially. Think about the things that, that you probably, conversations you may have at Thanksgiving with family members because they have some different beliefs. But think about what is the heart of those differences. And many of them have to do with an understanding or a belief about what God's Word says about certain things. It's really where it all comes down to. In the enemy of God has waged war on those things. Paul doesn't just say to stand firm, and he does tell you to stand firm. He does tell you to stand, but he says to stand firm in God's strength. It's God's strength. If you want to walk worthy of your calling, if you want to be an imitator of God, you want to be spirit-filled uh, at home and at work and all these places, the only way that that's going to happen is if you stand firm in and by the strength of God. Remember the passage that says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. It is the power of God, the strength of God that will enable you to stand against the attacks of the enemy. Paul says, stand in the strength of the Lord. But next, he tells us to stand alert. 
He doesn't say stand alert. He says to, uh, to put on the full armor of God. So we'll talk about the armor here, here, in a, here, here in a moment. But one of the things I want you to see here is the motivation of why he says to put on that armor. So that, so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. He instructs us, if you're going to make a stand with God and the power of God, you better put on the full armor of God so you can stand against his tactics. The Greek word there, I don't have to, I don't have to explain it to you. The Greek word is methodos. So you can stand against the methods of the enemy, the schemes of the devil so that you would recognize his deceptions. And so Paul, Paul goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, he says, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why Paul says in verse 13, you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. If you're going to stand firm, you're going to stand in God's strength. If you're going to stand in God's strength, then you better put on the tools and the equipment that God has given to you to make that stand. Listen, it's hard to be a disciple of Christ in our culture today. Uh, sin is celebrated and biblical doctrine is denounced and condemned. It's hard to really love God the way Scripture has instructed us to while living in a culture that glorifies sinful delusions and then demands that we get on board with those things or suffer the cultural consequences. I, listen, I, I get it. I know it's tough. I know it's frustrating. I know at times it makes you mad. But, but here's the thing we have to remember. Paul says, our fight is not with flesh and blood. It, it, it's not the people, okay? The, the people are just the instruments of the problem. They're a symptom of the problem. Really, our fight is with with the spiritual powers of evil, the evil spirits that are in this world. And, and so, so that is where the fight is. That is, that is who our enemy is. It's not, not, the, not the people. It's these evil ideas and these evil deceptions that they have bought into, many of them. Thinking, many of them, that it's the right thing, that it makes sense. Uh, being told and and being propagated into those things, we have to understand. It, it, just like uh, Miss Jackie said a, a little while ago when they were doing the music, that, that we cannot discount the power of prayer in our world because our enemy is not an enemy of flesh and blood. It is a spiritual. He is. They are spiritual enemies. The ones that are waging this spiritual battle against us. And so, one of the things I think is helpful for us to understand is, are some things about this enemy. Because it all really stems from, 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 from the devil, from the evil one, right? And some people misunderstand certain things about the enemy. I think it would be helpful for you to understand uh, uh, some things about the enemy. The truth is that the devil is not all-powerful. But he's more powerful than you are. 
The, the truth is, the devil's not all-knowing. But he knows more than you do. Uh, the truth is that he isn't everywhere all the time, and neither are you. But everywhere you go, you're going to face uh, you're, you're, you're going to face uh, one of his servants. You're going to face uh, the, the the evil that comes from his schemes and his tactics. You know, think about when the United States went to war with Iraq that first time. Uh, the, the main person. At the really the, the the hub of the problem was a, a dictator named Saddam Hussein, and, and and that was really the one that we were fighting. But our troops in that at that time, none of our troops really confronted him face to face. Who they did confront were people from his army, and we have to remember Satan was once an angel. He was one of the archangels. Uh, he rebelled against God. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be better than God. He had a lot of pride. Pride goes before the fall. Okay? And so he, he rebelled against God. He was very cunning. He, 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 uh, he, he convinced uh, about a third of the angels in heaven to follow him and his rebellion to participate in it. They were defeated because uh, there is no power as great or greater than our great God. And so they were defeated. And uh, Jesus said, I, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And, and Satan and his angels were cast down out of heaven onto this earth. And, and today, uh, th throughout your life, you may face situations. And, and it may not necessarily be the devil himself. But you may be facing an agent of evil nonetheless. It is a spiritual battle everywhere you go. Praise God. Satan isn't all-powerful, but God is. Praise God that, that Satan isn't all-knowing, but God is. And praise God that Satan isn't everywhere all the time, but God is. And if God is in you, and He is leading you, then you have what, what you need, what God has given to you to be able to stand for God and in God, to be able to stand alert, be able to stand ready for the enemy of God and of man. You need to stand in God, you need to stand alert. And then he goes on to describe this armor of God. Here's the first one. Stand in the truth. Stand with the truth. The, the idea here goes far beyond a just a normal belt. You know, some some ladies, they just wear belts because they look good. Sometimes you don't even need them. You just put it on because uh, it's fashionable, okay? It goes beyond that. Uh, if you're a guy, you probably wear a belt to hold your pants up, okay? Uh, it goes beyond that. Now, that's more useful than just looking pretty. Uh, but but this, this belt of truth, it goes, it goes beyond all of those things because remember, Paul is is comparing these things to the armor that a soldier would put on when he is ready to go to war, when he's ready to go into battle. The belt that they would put on was typically made of a thick leather. It, it would have pieces of leather hanging down the front. Sometimes you, you may even have seen a, a, a piece of metal, but a lot of times there pieces of leather and maybe had metal studs or something on there and, 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 and that leather was thick and, and under certain circumstances it could withstand the attack of, 
a knife. They would tuck in other parts of their clothes into that belt, okay? So that, they're, you know, because they, they wore garments that a lot of times were real loose and robe-like things, you know, part of their uniform. And, and they would tuck those things into the belt so that they would have a mobility in the, in the heat of battle. We, we know that the, the belts would, would provide back support in many ways. It, it, would, it would provide a support to the core of your body. There are a lot of things that the belt did. In fact, something else, another function that the belt had was that it would hold the sword. Now we're not going to get to the sword today. We'll get to that next week. But it, it was it, it would hold the sword when you weren't using it. It would it, it would hold that sword ready to be to be grabbed in a time of battle. What was that belt? The belt of truth. That truth had to be connected to and fastened to your body. You know why? Why Paul would use that imagery? Probably a lot of reasons, but here's one thing that comes to my mind. The devil wants you to introduce error into your thinking. He wants you to introduce lies and falsehoods into your thinking in a way where you would be willing to accept them as truth. You, you have to understand Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar. And, and, and we have to understand that Satan is a liar, but God is truth. So we have to understand that if you lose the truth, you're going to lose the battle. You, you cannot lose sight or lose hold of that which is true. You need to have an understanding of truth. When I talk to someone of a different faith, or I talk to somebody maybe even that's an atheist. I, we, we, we always come at it as, as from, the, from, the, from the pursuit of truth, okay? Would you be open to the truth, whatever it is? And most of the time, even when they're not all that open to it, most of the time they, they say, well, well, sure, okay? I, I want to know what is true. Because whether whether I believe it's false or not, or whether it, it whether it gives me butterflies or goosebumps or not, truth is truth, and I need to know truth, and you need to know truth, because we live in a culture that's being lied to every day. We have been for for generations now lied to about so many things, and now the voice of the media, the voice, the voice of the Culture is much louder than the voice of the church. And so what messages are our children and, the, and our young adults? What messages are these generations to come? What are they hearing? Many of them are hearing the voice of culture that is lying to them. Satan is a liar. If you lose the truth, you're going to lose the battle. Truth is important. Information is important. On, on Veterans Day, I'm reminded of my grandfather. Served in World War II. I've shared uh, with you about him before. One of his jobs was on the front line getting shot at. On the front line as a communications officer, one of his jobs uh, was not only to hold the backpack with the communication device, but at, at times he would be given a handwritten message by his commanding officer and told to run that message to the other commanding officer. 
Because that information was important. It was so important that, that he was told if, if he was captured, the first thing he was to do, if he was shot or captured, is to eat that piece of paper. To eat that message. Why? Because that information was important. And if the enemy knew what the intention, you've seen some of those movies about spies and you secret agent man. And you know, there's, there, there's a spy from a different country. Sometimes in those movies, there'll be a double agent spy. And so, and so instead of being a spy against a nation and, and giving, uh, you know, giving uh, the United States, for example, the information needed to fight the battle against the enemy, a double agent would say, hey, I'm your friend, but in reality, I'm not. I'm going to feed you false information so that you will think it's true information so that then we can set a trap for you to fall into in the, in the face of utter destruction. And that is exactly what the enemy of God is doing in our culture today. Satan is a liar. If you lose truth, you're going to lose the battle. Stand in truth. The next thing we see is to stand with righteousness. He says, stand with a, a, a truth like a belt. And he says, and righteousness like armor on your chest. This is what King James calls the breastplate of righteousness. Now remember, this is, this is battle gear. Paul is saying this is a battle. This is a spiritual battle. Just like a soldier would armor up, so should you armor up whenever you're going to face that battle. You're going to take that stand and be who you have been called to be. And, and, and so Paul's talking about this breastplate that, that, that really would have been made of a hard and durable metal. It, it, it would cover your chest, which is covers your most vital organs, okay? Um, and, and it particularly covers... Your heart covers your heart. So why is that such a big deal? Because the heart of man is, 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 is wicked, okay? The heart of man is, is, is the, uh, the origin of the sinfulness of man. James says, uh, in James 1, he says, No one undergoing, undergoing trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. It's like King Solomon in Proverbs 4 said to guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of or the wellspring of life. How do you guard your heart? With the breastplate of righteousness. You know something that's interesting about that breastplate of righteousness? In the, in, in the gear that the Roman soldiers had to put on, that was the only piece of their gear that they couldn't put on by themselves. They'd put their arms in it and come around them, or head through it, but it would fasten in the back or sometimes on the sides. Okay? It was the only thing that they had to have help getting into. The reason that's important is because the righteousness that Paul is talking about here is not your righteousness, it's not your goodness. 
It, it, it's not your intelligence. It's the righteousness of Christ. It, it, it's a righteousness that we cannot get into on our own. It's a righteousness that has to be fastened to us by someone, something else. That someone is God through faith in Christ. Paul explains this to Philippians in chapter 3 where he says, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, not that I am such a good person, not that I'm smarter or better than anybody, he says, but one, this righteousness, but a righteousness that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Righteousness comes from Christ. You have to have the righteousness of Christ. And, and not only that, but we have to understand that that righteousness is lived out as we cooperate with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That's why, that's why Paul says uh, to the Philippians in chapter 2, he says, uh, uh, but now even more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. And so it's God that enables you to stand in righteousness. You, he has the breastplate of righteousness. He wants to put it onto you, okay? He wants to guard your heart from the attacks of the enemy. You've got to put your arms out and you've got to let him do it. You've got to let him do it. Put on that armor. And last, I want you to, to uh, understand what Paul says about standing with the gospel of peace. And your feet, verse 15, sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. The Jewish historian Josephus describes these sandals that, that, that a soldier would have worn. He described them as this, as shoes thickly studded with sharp nails. Just to give you a modern thought, they were like cleats, okay? The cleats that, that, that an athlete would wear to play sports, to play, uh, to play football. The, the, the cleats, they're, they're, they're essential to the success uh, of an athlete on, 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 uh, on the football field. They give stability when you need, uh, when you need to turn, or you need to tackle, or you need to shake this way or go that way. You have that stability. Those cleats are digging into the ground. And, they're providing you traction. They're providing you the ability to, to, to make those moves and to, uh, to, to dodge those tackles and to run towards the goal. And so, uh, so we have to understand that the, the, uh, uh, the sandals, the gospel of peace, are at the very foundation of, of everything in the armor of God and anything in, in battle armor. How silly would it be to put on all of this gear and not cover up your feet. It's not just talking about like little sandals that go on your feet, but they actually came up probably about the knee. They actually had a leather piece on them as well to provide protection to your lower legs uh, because you can have all this armor up here, but if all somebody had to do was swap you down at the bottom, I mean, what good does the breastplate do, right? We have to understand that the gospel is the very heart of, of, of who we are as Believers, It's all about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything we do. And the gospel, the gospel of Christ is a gospel of peace. 
Now, I want you to understand, when we say the gospel of peace, I'm not necessarily talking about the absence of war or the absence of conflict. Uh, we may find ourselves at times in conflict personally and nationally in the future. But, but this gospel of peace is, is, uh, it is not just an, an, an absence of conflict, but it is a personal peace that comes with a relationship with Christ. It's that peace that passes all understanding. It, 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 is, a, it is a peace that, that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, Jesus is our peace. Without Jesus, we have no reconciliation with man, and we have no reconciliation with God. When Jesus died on the cross, he reconciled us unto God. And if whoever would come to God through faith in Christ, if you would believe upon the name of Jesus, if you would trust in his death, burial, and resurrection as being what is needed to achieve and attain your salvation, if you believe that the, 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 that and that alone is what brings you salvation, if you are uh, willing to accept uh, the love and the leadership of God into your life, the Bible says that you can be Saved. And, and that is a gospel of peace because you will have a peace with God that is uh, greater than anyone could ever understand. I want to ask you this. Do you have a lasting peace? Do you have a lasting peace? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if the answer is yes, praise God and celebrate with you. The next question is, are you carrying that lasting peace? Are you a part of passing that down to other generations? And I'm not just talking about age generations, but are you, are you involved in handing that off to other people that need to know that peace, who need to accept that peace? Are you, uh, are you carrying it? I wonder if Paul was thinking about Isaiah when he talked about these sandals of the gospel because Isaiah 52 says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings the news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen friends, I want to encourage you this morning to take a stand. Take a stand against the enemy. Stand in the Lord, stand on earth, stand with the truth, stand with righteousness, and stand with the gospel of peace, and see what God does in your life. Let's pray.